So we're talking about love and marriage. And I felt like it wasn't fair for me just to have a mic and Kathy not to get to chime in sometimes whenever Amen. she feels like I've gone too far. So I've given her that. I don't know if I'm going to regret that, but right now I don't. Let's go see how it goes. If, if she doesn't get one next week, you'll know it didn't go good. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. This is the example for marriage as given by God. So this is marriage, chapter 2. And we're going to read these same verses. We're going to read these verses so many times in the next month or so. You're going to have them memorized. 18 says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will therefore make a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So let's, uh, let's pray for just for a moment that God would help me have a good mind here. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach and study your word tonight, Father. Give me your mind and your thoughts, O oh God. Help me, Lord God, to follow the leading that you gave me this afternoon, Father God, that Jesus Christ would be glorified above all things. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you look on your sheet, you'll see that this is a quote from the Shamash. Now, most of you know this, but I'm going to tell you again. The Shamash is a Hebrew commentary on what's called the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's called the Torah in the Jewish faith. And I, the Shamash, I happen to have the stone edition. There's other editions. I happen to have the stone edition. It's a commentary on those scriptures from a Jewish point of view. So most every other commentary I've got is written by a Gentile. Barnes' commentary um, is, is written by Albert Barnes, who is a, a priest, uh, a, a Protestant priest. I've got uh, the Pilpah commentary by H.T.M. Spence, who is a Protestant. I've got the uh, Matthew Henry, Henry commentary. So most of the other commentaries I have are from a people with a different point of view. But the Shamash is from a Jewish point of view. So when I read these comments to you tonight, this is how the Jews interpret these, these scriptures that we're reading. And so here's what they say. They say, man is called Ish. That name comes from E-I-S-H, Ish, or fire. So the word E-I-S-H is fire. Because man is unique among all living beings in the characteristics symboled by fire. And those characteristics are verve, which is energy and vitality, and enthusiasm, lust, and initiative. These characteristics enable man to achieve dominance, obtain wisdom, and develop culture. But that same fire can cause mass destruction that has marred humanity almost since the beginning of time. 
The presence of godliness in human beings is expressed by the letters that are added to the name which spell the divine name because God must be present in the union of a man and wife. So if you look at the little squiggles at the end of the paragraph, you see the little squiggles there? Those are my attempts to make Hebrews letters. If you're Hebrew, I apologize because they're not right, but they're close enough. So ish means man, and you see that it's got that little pitchfork-looking thing with that little seven above it and that little thing that looks like a spread-out N. You see that? That word is man. If you look at the, right across, it's got a thing that looks like pie, and then there's that pitchfork thing again, and then that spread-out N. So that is the word for ishta, which means woman. So if you notice, the word ish the little seven, see the little seven that's in that? And then Isha, which has got the little pie. You see the little pie thing in there? You know what I'm talking about? You look down below that, those two letters spell the word El. And El is a root name for God, like El Shaddai, El Elon. Um, El, El is the original name, I mean the, the divine name, the divine root name of God in the Jewish culture. So those two letters form God. So what the writer is saying is that the name Ish and the name Isha has two letters in it that if you put the two letters together, they form the name of God. So he is saying what I just read to you, the presence of godliness in human beings is expressed by the letters that are added to the name which spell the divine name of God because God must be present in the union of a man and wife. So the first thing we see as we look at, at, at God bringing Eve to Adam is that God is present in that union. And if you, want your, if you want your marriage to be all that it's going to be, then God has to be in the middle of that union. God has to be in the middle of that union. If they allow Him in their union, it's godly. If not... They are left with fire. So you see over here the bottom, that little pitchfork or the little prong thing with the spread out in? That's the Hebrew word for fire. So if you leave God out of your relationship, you're going to find that the fire, the vitality, the strength, the enthusiasm, the, the, all the things that represent man, uh, energy, vitality, enthusiasm, lust, initiative, drive, all of those things are going to come against all the things that woman represents. Because woman is called a help meet, not a help mate. I think in the NIV he calls her a suitable helper. And what that word means, that, that meet word or that suitable word, what it means is some, well, it's on here. Uh, the next paragraph says, woman was created for the man. In verse 18, the woman is called a help meet. In the original language, the word meet or suitable means an exact opposite counterpart to stand out boldly and to be opposite. So if you think it's black, guys, guess what color she's going to call it? White. If you say turn left, guess what she's going to say? Turn right. Because she is set in an opposite manner from you. Yeah, well, sometimes it ain't praise God, but 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 it sets up it's it sets up it sets up 
Why would God do that? Because he's got a great sense of humor and he loves watching the show. The two, the two are to become one. The two are to become one. So God put the advantage in a relationship by placing opposites together so that when the two becomes one, then, they're, then it's perfect. Because what I'm not good at, Kathy's good at. What she's not good at, if she had to, if she had to balance our checkbook, I'm telling you, we'd be eating beans and eating dirt. She cannot stand the financial part. She cannot stand to sit there and even watch me work on the, much less pay the bills. She can't stand that. And if we were being dependent upon her to tell us how much money's in the checking account, you know how she'd do it? Well, let me see. Oh, the bank says I still got money. We're good. And if we were dependent on him to cook, we would, all, we would starve. That's why I gave you the mic. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the truth. He's like, why did I get married if I... I said something to him one day about, you want to come in here and learn to cook something? He's like, why did I get married if I'm going to cook? You know? But but I'm good at cooking, and he's good at, at balancing a checkbook, and so among to, other things. And so together, we form a home. But we have to be able to work in those differences. We have to be able to understand that God didn't put somebody with me who's like-minded most. Now, now sometimes we are. Very Maybe, seldom. Very seldom. Very seldom. But that's not bad <laughs> because God, God allows the, the opposites to be together because the fire, now I, I know that this is going to apply to about 90% of y'all and there's going to be 10% that's, that's different. But for the mass majority of us, most of the time, the men are, they're, they're just what it says. They're, he was created with energy, vitality, enthusiasm, lust, and initiative. Pushing, pressing, you know, they say, they say toxic masculinity is a bad thing, but I'm telling you, it's the thing that builds countries and moves economies. It's the thing that presses the world forward. Is the drive of a man that gets in there and says, I'm going to make this work. You know, it makes me so mad when somebody says, oh, well, you just can't do that, and I want to tell them, get out of my way. If you think something can't be done, don't discourage the guy doing it. And that's the way a man is. He pushes, presses, you know, but a, a man, if when he's really focused on something, he may work 16 or 20 hours a day on it, next day go back again. A woman is in the opposite of that. She helps slow him down. Even when he doesn't like it, she tells him, you need your rest. You need to take care. You've got, you've got three kids here. You're not going to stay at that office all day long and leave me with these kids. <laughs> you get home right now. You get home and take care of these kids. I need a bath. I want to take a nice salsa bath. You come get these kids. And the man is saying, I'm doing something important here. And she says, I'm doing something important too. Get home. And together... They make a perfect home because they're created and made opposite. So the first thing in creating marriage is you need to understand that God needs to be in the middle of that marriage because God is love. God is love. And when God's in the middle of that marriage, he can help you have the love so that those two frictional activities 
that can cause fire to shoot out of every, <laughs> everything <laughs> can be done whenever we love one another. And God did that on purpose so that whenever we come together, it's the same thing in the church. You know, we come together and some of you, we all have different opinions and different ways and different, different home lives and different ways we do things. But when we come together and we put all those things together and we put God in the middle of it, then it forms a family at church that's functional, that loves one another, that can work together, that can promote the gospel, that doesn't use the center aisle as a dividing line of the haves and the have-nots. It's love that makes that difference. So he goes on to say that woman is designed to supply the need of the man and man is designed to supply the needs of the woman. The difference is the source of strength. So I want to look at a few scriptures here real quick. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You got anything you want to say while we're turning? Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <laughs> she will. Verse 32 says this. Paul says, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things of the world, how he may please who? His wife. Because his life is caught up in her. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin, an unmarried woman. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please who? Her husband. So let's look at another verse. Let's look at Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5. And you've all heard this scripture probably a hundred times. But chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading with verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's that washing of water by the word. That word there is rhema, and that is the spoken word. Washing of water by the spoken word. Conversation. If Kathy's talking to me, she expects conversation. Not me just said and nod. Right? Most of the time. But if I'm talking to her, I expect conversation too. The washing of water by the word. Communication. Back and forth. Communication. That he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it be holy and without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man has hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh, of his bone. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Never one, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So let's go one more place here. Let's go to... I think it's uh, 1 Peter. Yep, 1 Peter. Back in the back of your Bible. And let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12.
Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your husbands, that if any obey not in the world, word, they may be one, they may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation, there's that word again, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be with the outward adorning of the plaiting of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of the Lord is of great price. For after this manner in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now that, that phrase, not afraid with any amazement, is a very difficult and if you look at five different translations, you'll find five different words right there. Basically what that means is that, not afraid with any amazement. Basically what that means is that the woman acts within character. She acts within who she is. So if I was to come home one day and Kathy's throwing dishes against the wall, tearing up the carpet, ripping the covers off the bed, I would be amazed because that's not her character. That's not who she is. So as long as she acts within her character, within who she is, then I'm very comfortable in the relationship. But if she starts acting with amazement to where I don't know what's going on, then the whole relationship starts getting strange. Same thing with me. As long as I'm within character of who I am, everything's good. But if I start acting in amazement, if I start being sweet, saying nice things to her, <laughs> I was hoping that was a joke, but you're not laughing. Nobody's laughing. Any amazement. So as long as people are acting within character, but when amazement starts, then it brings, it brings uh, confusion. Likewise, husbands dwell with women according to knowledge, knowing who they are, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean physically weaker as much as it means a, something delicate, something you want to treat with a lot of care. You want to be very careful with. If you had a very uh, expensive very pricely, pricey a vase that was made of the finest, finest porcelain and you didn't want it broken, you would treat it with the utmost care. And that's what it's talking about, the weaker vessel, treat it with the utmost care. Um, and being heirs together with grace that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, above all, have compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing. How about that verse? Not rendering evil for evil or railing for a railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that that there are unto, there unto called, and you should inherit a blessing. How far am I going? For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his speak lips that they speak no guile. Let him avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So the relationship scripturally there is, is given. It's a relationship that's interdependent. 
It's a relationship that's a constant. It's a relationship that's not up and down and crazy and, and, and good today and terrible the next day. And it's, it's a relationship that can be sustained. It's a relationship that has God in the middle. It's a relationship of love. It's a relationship where a man loves his wife and does things to please her. It's a relationship where a woman reverences her husband and does things to please him so that the two can become one flesh. I just want to interject this right here. Please do. Going back to the scripture, those scriptures, a lot of things came to my mind in talking about us being delicate and fragile. I don't mean that. Mean, I don't think that means like fragile. We're going to break break apart any right. second, but it means he treats me like I'm like I'm valuable, like fine china. Oh goodness, I don't know if I can face him. Close your eyes; they're not very scary. Let me lean on this. Okay. So. In our pre-marriage counseling, we tell the couples, if, you, if you'll treat him like the king, he'll probably treat you like the queen. And that doesn't mean a dominating thing, a dominance. It means you respect each other, don't try to change each other, love each other, adore each other. You know, I, I, I try to treat him with respect, but he doesn't dominate over me. He doesn't make me feel like that. You know, that he's the boss and he's in charge and whatever he says goes. He respects me for my, and values my opinions, too. And she's but, got a microphone. Yeah, I have a microphone. So, and there are times when it talks about us being the weaker vessels. We, we, we are, we tend to be weaker emotionally sometimes. And we go through things that I don't think the men ever understand, really. But even when I'm going through some hard times and emotional Emotional times. I was a wreck this past year. And there's times when I was just very emotional with him because, you know, losing my parents so close together. But he loved me and he held me and he just let me be myself and he let me cry and he let me just be on edge a lot because I just was, I just went through some emotions I never thought I would go through. But he treated me like I was delicate and he treated me like I was the weaker vessel. But I love and respect and adore him for that. So it's reciprocal. You just, and it's like he said with relationships in the church, this didn't just apply to marriage. This applies to every human. Respect and love and adore and treat everybody like they're valuable and cherish and adore Everybody that God puts in your path. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Very good. I'll keep the mic. I may yeah, need please, it. <laughs> please do. So we're talking, we, 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 we talked a little bit. Does anybody else have a comment? Is this, is this relevant? Because I'm not very comfortable teaching touchy-feely stuff like this. So, so. I'll say one more thing. Another thing we tell the the marriage candidates is that this is not a 50-50 relationship it's not like well you do your half and I'll do my half um, he, he'll come in and help me if we're getting ready for company or something he'll help me he'll load the dishwasher or he does that anyway every day he loads and unloads the dishwasher because I hate that I would stack my dishes up to the ceiling and wash them all by hand because I hate to do that but he doesn't mind <laughs> he doesn't mind doing that And but you know I, I iron his clothes for him every day I do things for him he does things for me but we you know we we do for each other and it's it's not like well I'm gonna do just this part and 
he doesn't just say, well, I'm just going to take out the garbage and that's all I'm going to do. We, we, we help each other out. Yes, because we're one. Mm -hmm. The two shall become one. So, um, taking up too much time. No, I'm seeing what time it is. So the, uh, the bottom paragraph says, do you know what the enemy is of your relationship? Every relationship, whether it's a relationship in this church or whether it's a marriage relationship, every relationship has a common enemy. And that common enemy is you. You are the enemy to your relationship. You are the enemy in this church to relationships. I, I've said it a lot of times, and y'all always laugh when I said it, but it's true. God didn't marry, God didn't allow you to get married so you could be happy. Happiness has nothing to do with you being married. Because happiness is not about you. Marriage is not about you. If you want to poison a marriage relationship and send yourself on the way to a divorce, then start thinking that somehow you're supposed to be happy in this. Because that's a very selfish attitude. Same thing in the church. Same thing in most places. When you start thinking that it's about you and that if you're not happy, then we ought to all work to try to make you happy, then everything begins to fall apart. It goes on to say, this is out of a book called... Uh, relationships and ethics and ministry goes on to say do you know the biggest enemy of your relationship it's you selfishness is the biggest barrier to intimacy the first and hardest step is getting beyond your own self-interest desires and expectations and moving toward knowing and unlocking the mysteries of your spouse so guys how much do you know if I was to give you five hundred dollars and tell you to go buy three things that your wife liked could you go out and buy those things and bring them home and she like them? Would they be in the right color? Would they be in the right size? Would they be, Brian could, huh? We can give it a try. <laughs> Same thing with you ladies. If I gave you $500 and said go buy three things that you know your husband will love, do you know enough about him to be able to go out and purchase something that you know he would like? How, how much, remember, what are we doing? Two's trying to become one flesh. Two, two's becoming one. We're not just trying to coexist here. We're trying to become one flesh. We're trying to be, you know, they say, the saying is, the older a man gets, the less romantic he becomes. So that he starts thinking that a, a good date, a good time to go out is anything that's got to drive through windows so he won't have to spend that very much time away. A man becomes less and less romantic as he gets older in a relationship. A woman becomes less and less tolerant and can become mean. Can become impatient. If y'all would be more romantic, we wouldn't be so mean. There you go. If men would be romantic, women wouldn't be so mean. There you go. And, and she's, she, y'all are laughing, but she's right. Because as long as the relationship is not about me, a husband is to love his wife as God loved the church and give himself for her. The same thing with a woman. Respect her husband, intertwine herself with her husband to where the two becomes one flesh. And whenever you start thinking it's about me, it's all about me being happy. I'm not happy because you're not buying me stuff or I'm not happy because you're not fixing my dinner. I'm not happy because of this and I'm not happy because of that, then you need to go rent the movie Fireproof 
and figure out that it's not about what you're doing for you, but it's about what you're doing for somebody else. God so loved the world that what? He gave. If you love somebody, you'll give. You'll give of yourself. You'll give of your talent. You'll give of your time. You'll give of your communication. The, the worst thing you can have in a relationship or in a church or in any kind of thing is selfishness. Listening is the first, listening is the first step in effective communication. Research indicates. <laughs> Research indicates that only 7% of what we hear from our spouses involves words. 38% involves what? Tone, Tone of voice. Why did you say it like that? I can take out the garbage without you hollering at me. And the remaining 55% is made up of various nonverbal forms of communication. Let's see if we can run this video. See if you can run it. There you go. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop will... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. <laughs> yes, sir. The difficulty in communication. You got something? Um, one of the things you said earlier of opinion, older men do, uh, what did you say, older men? Get less romantic.
Amen. Amen. So let's finish this up tonight. Verbal communication, as you saw. Um, here's eight steps to hearing what somebody said. Number one, and, and if it says husband, you could say wife, so you can interchange. But number one, what the husband intends to say to his wife, what the husband actually says to the wife, what the wife hears, what the wife says to herself about what she just heard. What the wife intends to say back to the husband, what the wife actually says back to the husband, what the husband hears, and then what the husband says to himself about what he just heard. <laughs> so these are the eight things that go on when you're trying to have a conversation about a nail. She doesn't want to talk about the nail. She just wants to talk about how she feels about the nail. He says if we get rid of the nail, all this will go away. So she says, don't fix it, just listen to me. How many times have my wife said, I don't want you to fix it, I just want to tell you about it. So hearing, listening, communicating, having a conversation without any amazement, without flying off the handle and going nuts. Yeah, because that's what happens. That's not, I don't want, I don't want you to fix it. I said, I, don't, I said, I said. So, first lesson. We're out of time. Yay. Huh? You didn't pull the nail. <laughs> she didn't see the nail as a problem. She didn't see the nail as a problem. That wasn't the problem. So, I, I hope you all enjoy this. I mean, I, I don't know how good I am at this kind of stuff, but anyway. <laughs> they'd that, say put it in savings <laughs> that's what they'd say yeah put it in savings and there you go
Jim would put it in savings. Kim would buy. Kim would put what she could on that and put the rest on a card. <laughs> so do I get to keep the mic next uh, time? Yeah, of course. Did you good? Did she good? Do good? You want to keep her with the mic? All right. Well, stand with me tonight. Let's get out of here. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to continue with this. Um, the, the next time we get together, we're going to talk about the five languages of love. I did not. I wrote it. Anyway, I wrote the book of love. Heavenly Father, thank you, Almighty God, for the opportunity, Lord God, to be here tonight, Father. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to build strong relationships. Lord God, we pray that you'd bless our marriages, Lord God, and bless our friendships, bless our relationships, God. Help them to glorify you, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.